0: Welcome back.
1: 5.8 to go on the fourth. Into Deladon. With three. Deladon with two. Deladon on a spin. And...
0: Yep, swish. That's the sound of a game-winning basket made by Elena Della Don, one of the most electrifying basketball players of her generation and a personal favorite of mine. A Rookie of the Year, two-time MVP, and Olympic gold medalist. She led our home team, the Washington Mystics, to their first championship. She's here today to talk about basketball, but also about other things she cares about, like people with disabilities, inclusion, and equality. And you might be surprised to learn, woodworking. We also welcome our Schools of the Week, Swanson Middle school in Arlington and Tacoma Park Middle School. We're eager to hear their questions for Elena Deladon and they're calling already. But we want to hear your questions too. If you're a kid, adults, you're welcome to listen. But on Kojo for Kids, it's kid callers only. Elena Deladon, welcome to the program.
1: Hey Kojo, thank you so much for having me on.
0: Well, my producers and I have been trying to get you on this program for at least a year, so we are really happy that you can join us today. We'll get the best. I
1: am very excited too.
0: (laughs) It's cool. We'll get the basketball in a minute. But first, let's talk about when you were a kid. Where were you born? Where did you grow up?
1: I I grew up in Wilmington, Delaware. My entire family actually still lives there now. So, um, luckily, it's a pretty short drive on 95, and I get to go home often in the off season. So, um, even the D.C. area has always felt so much like home because I've been here so much.
0: You're especially close with your family. Tell us about them. And in particular, tell us about your older sister, Lizzie, and the very special relationship you have with her.
1: Yeah, I certainly have a very close-knit family. And I believe the closeness that we have has been because of my sister with special needs. So she's the oldest sibling in the family. She was born deaf and blind and with many other disabilities. So I feel like from day one, um, our family has always just been a team, and the goal of this team is to make sure she can function and live the best life she possibly can, and it's it's brought us so close together, and I feel like even though she's never spoken a single word to me uh, because she can't, I feel like I've learned so many life lessons from her. Um, Number one, just persevering <laughs> through all mm-hmm. the challenges. Uh, so she has been an incredible older sister to look up to.
0: How do you communicate with Lizzie?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So since she can't see and she can't hear, we have what we call hand-over-hand sign language. So she will sign something into the palm of our hands and then we'll sign something back into the palm of her hand. So it's it's very much all based on touch and the signs are not um, the, your typical sign language. It's it's all things that she has kind of made up through life, and we've kind of just been able to figure out with her. So she knows about twenty signs and all things very specific, such as like sleep or drink or eat. Um, but we've we've kind of like learned these signs with her and have created this certain language, but. The best language is when you get a big hug and a kiss from her or you hear her belly giggle. <laughs> that's that's when you know you've done something right.
0: <laughs> Walking can be difficult for Lizzie, and you have been filmed carrying her, but you say Lizzie carries you. What do you mean by that? Yeah,
1: yeah. so through, through my life and through my basketball journey, there's been many ups and some downs as well, um, and I've always found that in those low moments where... Um, I either felt like giving up or I took a break from basketball because I was dealing with some burnout. Uh, Lizzie was the person who kind of brought me back and kind of just helped me put my life back into perspective. And even after you know a tough loss or um, you know, a tough practice, I'm always able to kind of just look towards her and put life in perspective again and just be like, You know what? (laughs) It's just a game. I know it's my job, and I know I'm trying to do my best for the city and my team to win games, but in the end, uh, it keeps so much in perspective with all the things that she has to deal with to even get out of bed in the morning.
0: You're six foot five now, and when you were young, you were always much taller than other kids. Was that ever hard for you, and when did you learn to appreciate your height?
1: Yeah, I was always much, much taller uh, than the rest of the kids in the class. I generally was the one in the back of the line or in the back of photos. And it was really hard when I was young because for some reason as a kid, I just wanted to fit in and I didn't want to stand out at all. I just wanted to be um, quote-unquote quote unquote normal, which doesn't make much <laughs> sense now. Um, right. And then throughout throughout just growing up and getting older, you realize like the more unique you are, the more special you are. And uh, you can just bring so much to this world. So it took a little bit of time um, to learn that and to realize that why why would you want to fit in? Like we're all born to stand out in our own way. And I was able to learn that by watching my sister, by having many conversations with my mom because she was also very tall when she was young. And um, just kind of realizing that, you know, it's... What's unique about us is what's most amazing, and you should share that and be proud of it. So it took a little bit of time.
0: (laughs) How did you get started playing basketball, and did you play any other sports?
1: I Actually, I started playing basketball when I was really young, like four years old, because I have an older brother, and he was playing. And I would go to all of his games, and I'd see his friends in the backyard playing Um, pick up and I just wanted to be a part of it and I wanted to be able to compete with them so basketball was my first sport and my first love and then I did pick up um, a little bit of t-ball when I was young and then I played volleyball for a little bit but mainly basketball was my focus.
0: When it was time for you to go to college you accepted a scholarship at the University of Connecticut which as everyone knows has one of the very best basketball teams in the nation (laughs) You got there, but within 48 hours, you made a momentous decision. Can you tell us what happened?
1: (laughs) I I did make quite a big decision um, that caused a bit of uproar. (laughs) Well, I decided (laughs) to leave and go back home. I was dealing with burnout from the sport and also just a lot of homesickness and just not realizing that leaving home, but especially leaving Lizzie was too much for me to handle at that time. Um, I I don't think I ever really thought it through. And when I left and I realized like I have no communication with her, you can't just pick up a phone and call her or FaceTime her um, or even write her a letter. So for me, it just hit me in that moment. And I just knew this isn't right. Um, This isn't going to work. And I went home and I kind of took the summer to just settle down and realize like, I'm going to go to the University of Delaware. It's 20 minutes from my home and I'm going to experience college in that way. And because of the burnout that I was dealing with from basketball, I decided to play college volleyball for a year. (laughs) Um, But I was grateful to have incredible teammates and great people around me and realized that I wanted to get back into the game of basketball.
0: You did decide you wanted to play basketball for the University of Delaware. What was it that specifically changed your mind?
1: I think when I was able to kind of just come home, settle in, go to college, um, enjoy that experience, I was able to realize that a a lot of... I was blaming basketball for a lot of like my homesickness and (laughs) um, for pulling me away from my family. And at that time, I finally made the decision that University of Delaware was going to be the place that I stayed my entire college career and I realized that I really was starting to miss the game of basketball and I had put so much time and effort into the game and I wanted to give it a go again and um, see how it felt so I decided to just go play at the University of Delaware. It was the best decision ever.
0: Before I go to the phones, in your last year of college, you were the number two pick in the WNBA draft and you were chosen by the Chicago Sky. What made you at that point ready to move away from home and live halfway across the country?
1: <laughs> yeah, I I had definitely grown up a lot throughout my college career um, and was able to figure out that even if I'm distance away from Lizzie and my family, I'm still able to find ways to stay in touch and to get home when I possibly can. So even in season, if we had a couple off days, I would immediately fly back home and go see the family um, and then get back to Chicago. But I also spent my entire off seasons back in Delaware. So it was, you know, the season's about five months and then the other seven months of the year, I was able to be in Delaware. So the, the professional career worked very well in being able to get back and forth. <laughs>
0: Here now is 14 year old Abigail of Tacoma Park Middle School. Abigail, it's your turn. Go ahead.
1: Hi. Um, it's so cool to talk to you. Um no. what are your what are your thoughts on the difference of the weight rooms and equipment for the men and women in the NCAA tournament? Wow. It's amazing to talk to you too, Abigail, and I love that you're keeping up with that. Um I was Unfortunately, I wasn't shocked when I saw the mistreatment from the men's tournament to the female tournament because I've been there and I've seen the differences. Um, I was hoping that we were in a different time now and that wouldn't still be the same, but I'm so proud of the young women who spoke up about it, who took pictures and videos and showed how ridiculous it was and Um, I hope that that was super eye-opening for the NCAA, and they wake up and realize that this is just not okay, (laughs) and they have got to change it. So as happy as I am that they're able to fix the weight room and all, that's not enough, and this has got to continue for years to come, and there should never be a disparity.
0: Thank you very much for your call, Abigail. Now, here's 14-year-old Evan, who attends Alice Deal Middle School. Evan, you're on the air. Go ahead, please.
1: Hello. Um, I had a question about uh what are what are your views on the equal pay? I <laughs> I recently read an article about Draymond Green, uh the uh forward I believe for the Golden State Warriors, and he got received backlash for
0: uh for his views on that, but Mm -hmm. what what are your views on that
1: whole situation? Yeah, I think what was most frustrating um, about his views were, it's all things that we've been fighting for for years and years on end. Like, we know this. We know that companies have got to put money into female athletes. We know that we need more visibility. So to act like you just snap your fingers and we haven't been asking for that was what was very frustrating for all of us. And we need allies and we need men who are in those rooms to be sticking up for us. We're we're trying our best and we've been for many, many years, but we need everybody in this together. So I think... That's where a lot of the frustration came was just like, okay, thanks for your input, but we've been doing this for years and now we need help. And we need those people who are in those meetings with these big companies to say, hey, if you're going to pay me for this commercial, this amount of money, you need to go pay a, a Sue Bird or a Candace Parker that same amount of money that I'm receiving.
0: Thank you very much for your call. Now on to 14-year-old Allison at Tacoma Park Middle School. Allison, you're on the air. Go ahead, please.
1: Hi, it's really nice to speak with you. Um, I know you kind of answered this question already, but Mm -hmm. I played soccer and basketball for many years, but I sprained my ankle multiple times and it got harder to go back and keep my confidence up. Mm -hmm. How do you keep your confidence up and a positive outlook on playing basketball? That's a great question. And it's actually something I'm going through now because I've been experiencing uh, a lot of issues with my back. And it's, it's hard because you're not training the way that you wish you possibly could. And you can only give so much. So for me, I try to just win the day and whatever that means. If it's just maybe my therapy that day is going for a walk, or maybe it's stretching, I try not to be too hard on myself. And then when you're starting to get back into the flow of things, you have to take it, you have to take it slowly. You can't just jump in back into a 40-minute game. So I think the biggest thing is don't beat yourself up. And I know when I get back out on the court, it's going to be ugly for a little bit because I haven't been able to train and play the way I want to. But um, just know that you can only give your best and you're going to get back to where you want to be. And sometimes you can't set a timeline because it's hard to know.
0: Allison, thank you very much for your call. I'll bring that up in a minute again. In twenty seventeen you were traded to the Washington Mystics. How did you feel about joining the team?
1: <laughs> I was elated when I got traded to the Washington Mystics. It it was the team that I wanted to be drafted to, but it just didn't happen that way. So when it was time that I finally could come and be a Mystic and be with this program, I was thrilled. Um, it's it's a program that is second to none. They treat us phenomenally. Um, you know, We get all the things that the NBA players do. We share a facility with them. So um, it was a really incredible moment for me to not only just be able to come back and be closer to home, but to be a part of an organization that cares so much and puts so much into their players. And You can see that because we were able to come away with the championship pretty quickly.
0: I was about to say you led your teammates to the WNBA championship just two years after getting here. Well, I want to say what was that like? But I remember that in the championship the year before and in the last game of the championship this year, tell us what was going on with your back at the time. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah, for some reason, uh, in that championship series, I have been dealing with injuries. Uh, The first year was a knee injury that kind of was just a freak accident where the floor was a little bit wet and I tweaked my knee. And then the following year was a back injury where I had several herniations and um, was, was dealing with that. So for me, it was more just like, how can I be on the court and still impact my team and be a leader, um, because I have so many talented, so many talented teammates that were able to step up at different points in time. So it was just like, how am I going to be able to impact this game in a different way? Because obviously my body was not at a hundred percent.
0: Well, I have watched all kinds of uh, NBA championships over the years, and I have never seen a team win a championship when it was being led by a guy who had a triple herniated disc in his back. (laughs) So that's what I If you want to see how the women play and pay through pain, then you need to watch Elena (laughs) Deladon. But what was it like to win that championship at that point?
1: Oh, my gosh. It was the best feeling. Um, Not just because we had been through so much and been through so much adversity and many people were battling through injuries. But I think what was so special is our team just had so much love and appreciation for one another. And I had never been on a team where you wanted to win that championship more for the person next to you than for yourself. And I think that's what made it such an incredible feeling when we finally did it and we all look at each other and just were so happy for one another.
0: And we were very happy for you and for ourselves, <laughs> those of us and who call ourselves I mean, fans of the Mystics.
1: Exactly. When you looked in the crowd and saw fans just bawling, it was like, oh my goodness. Like, this means just as much to them as it does us. Like, the journey was so worth it.
0: <laughs> Indeed. Here's 14 year old Nakaya from Tacoma Park Middle School. Nakaya, it's your turn.
1: So actually a while back, I actually got my ball signed by your team. But my question is, um, what difficulties do you face as a forward? Well, I'm glad you were able to get your ball signed. I hope it's in a cool place. <laughs> um, as a forward, I would say probably what's most difficult is like still trying to be versatile in your game, especially when you're younger. Oftentimes coaches will... Put the tall people as forwards and posts and the small people are guards. So um, for you, I would say just try to be as versatile as possible. You want to still be doing all the same drills that the guards are doing while still developing your post game. uh, Because especially as you get to the next level, there's nothing more important than being able to do it all and being able to spread the floor and being able to play all different positions.
0: Thank you very much for your call. Elena, you are, according to the Guardian newspaper, the most successful free throw shooter in basketball history, making 93.8% of your shots. What's your secret? How do you get so good at free throws?
1: I would say my secret is simplification. So um, for me, I have tried to simplify my free throw into as little steps as possible. So not much can go wrong. I think... When you see people shooting free throws or doing their routines, a lot of times they're doing a lot of things that can go wrong. And free throw shooting is such a mental part of the game um, where you want things to be just so simple and something you're able to do over and over and over again the same way so that you really aren't even thinking about it. It's more like you're an autopilot. So that's kind of been my secret
0: there's a lot of pressure when it comes to free throws. What's the advice you would give to young players about how not to get nervous on the free throw line?
1: <laughs> yeah, I think the biggest thing is just realizing that it's the same shot that you have been shooting ever since you started picking picking up the game of basketball and playing. So even if it's a buzzer beater, I know like it's... It's stressful, the crowd's yelling, but it's still the same exact shot. There's nothing different. And if you can kind of just train your mind to just do that shot the same exact way every single time, that's the best you can do. And it kind of helps just get rid of the crowd noise or the pressure around it. And I also believe very much in taking a deep breath. (laughs) Being able to take a nice deep breath can settle your nerves immediately.
0: Last spring, 11-year-old Adi, who plays basketball for Hebrew Academy in Rockville, went to the mall with her mom to buy Elena Deladon sneakers. The salesman told her that he had never heard of Elena Deladon and would rather watch paint dry than watch women's (laughs) sports. Addie asked for an apology, and then you, her hero, got involved. What are your thoughts on this incident, and why did you reach out to Addie?
1: Yeah. So for me, number one, to see any young athlete go into a store and not be able to get, you know, their hero's merchandise um, is one thing and that's tough in itself. But then to have somebody so negatively um, make that experience that much worse was really eye-opening to me. And it kind of shows me why many girls drop out of sports at a young age and Obviously, that's something I don't want to see. I know how great sports can be, whether you go on to be a professional athlete or whatever you end up doing. Sports are so important for development and for growth. So for me, I first just wanted to reach out to her and say how proud I was for telling her story because that can be really tough. Um, And then the next step was, okay, how can we put our heads together and make something happen? So I've been on calls with her and Big Sporting Goods about this process. And I'm hoping that we will be starting to see change soon because both Adi and her her friends and some of her coaches were on this call and they were able to express to Sporting Goods stores the need to see WNBA gear and other uh, gear of professional leagues. Um, they need to be accessible for our athletes, for young boys and young girls. So I thought that was a really big step where she told her story. Um, we were able to get in touch. And then it was like, all right, how can we make this business get better?
0: Here now is six-year-old Emily in Maryland. Emily, it's your turn. You're on the air. Go ahead, Emily. Um, I want to know what inspired you to play basketball.
1: <laughs> Hi, Emily. <laughs> I... Started playing basketball just because I loved it. And I had so much fun when I was able to go outside and play with my brother and my parents. Um, And then from there, I really looked up to Cheryl Swoops. I thought she was so incredible. And she also had some really cool Nike basketball shoes that I wanted to get. And I was able to get my hands on. So it was like when I was playing in Cheryl's shoes, I felt like I was Cheryl. (laughs)
0: We only have about a minute left. You've written several books for kids. Can you tell us about the Hoop series and why you wrote it?
1: Of course. So it's a Hoop series and I wrote it because I want people to be able to see themselves or a friend in this book. So a lot of it goes through um, being very tall as a young girl and going through bullying and trying to figure that out. And then also um, experiencing different things with my sexuality and um, I have put my wife, Amanda, in the book as well, because I just feel like we need books that we can either see ourselves or other people in. And um, I also didn't feel like there were many basketball books when I was growing up. So I wanted to do that for the kids. And I also um, love just being a part of schools and being, if I wasn't playing basketball, I probably would have been a teacher. So it kind of got me back into the school system a little bit.
0: Elena Deladon plays for the Washington Mystics and led the team to its national championship. Elena, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Of course. Thank you.
0: Kojo for Kids with Elena Deladon was produced by Lauren Marco, and our conversation with Dr. Lena Wynn was produced by Julie Deppenbrock. Coming up tomorrow, after searching for decades, archaeologists have uncovered St. Mary's Fort, a nearly 400-year-old colonial site. We'll speak with the archaeologists who led the dig and the executive director of Maryland's historic St. Mary's City. Then we'll talk with veteran journalist Judy Woodruff, the anchor and managing editor of the PBS NewsHour. It all starts tomorrow at noon. Until then, thank you for listening, and stay safe. I'm Kojo. Nambi.
1: The Kojo Namdi Show is produced by Julie Deffenbrock, Sydney, Grannon, Lauren Marco, Kurt Gardiner, Richard Cunningham, and Ines Renike. Our managing producer is Ingalisa Shrobsdorf. Our broadcast engineer is Rashad Young. Today's engineer was Mike Kidd. For past shows and more content, visit kojoshow.org. Thanks for listening to The Kojo Nnamdi Show, and if you're already a member of WAMU 88.5, thank you for your support. If not, it's easy to give online at wamu.org. Just click the Donate button, and thanks.